primary reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 14. Would you listen now for the word of the Lord? Even that first covenant had rules and regulations about how to worship and how to set up an earthly sanctuary for God. In the book of Exodus, we read how the first tent was set aside for worship. We call it the holy place. How inside it they placed an oil lamp, a table, and the bread that was consecrated to God. Behind a second dividing curtain, there was another tent, which is called the most holy place. In there, they placed the golden incense altar and the golden ark of the covenant. Inside the ark were the golden urn that contained manna, the miraculous food God gave our ancestors in the desert, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant that Moses brought down from the mountain. Above the ark were the golden images of the heavenly beings of glory who shadowed the mercy seat. I cannot go into any greater detail about this now. When all is prepared as it is supposed to be, the priest will go back and forth daily into the tent, the first tent, to carry out the duties described in the law. But once a year, the high priest goes alone into that second tent, the most holy place, with blood to offer for himself and the unwitting errors of the people. As long as that first tent is standing, the Holy Spirit shows us the way into the most holy place has not yet been revealed to us. That first tent symbolizes the present time when gifts and sacrifices can be offered but it can't change the heart and conscience of the worshiper. These gifts and sacrifices deal only with regulations for the body, food and drink and various kinds of ritual cleansings necessary until the time comes to make things truly right. When the anointed one arrived as high priest of the good things that are to come, he entered through a greater and more perfect sanctuary that was not part of the earthly creation or made by human hands. He entered once for all time into the most holy place, entering not with the blood of goats or calves or some other prescribed animal, but offering his own blood and thus obtaining redemptive emancipation for us for all time. Think about it. If the blood of bulls or goats or the sprinkling of ashes from a heifer restores the defile to bodily cleanliness and wholeness, then how much more powerful is the blood of the anointed one who through the eternal spirit offered himself as a spotless sacrifice to God, purifying your conscience from the dead things of the world to the service of the living God. The word of the Lord. So this is Easter one. This means it's the first week after Easter, and we have four more to go. So now is the time to go buy the half-off candy and keep hiding eggs because this is a massive celebration. I personally hide peeps in weird places for my husband to find. Um, 
Yes. But you also need to randomly be shouting, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. So this is um, an interesting passage today, eh, guys? Um, in elementary atrium, we often bump into passages that require a little bit of context or a little bit of explanation of how the author is viewing things to be able to dig deeply into the mysteries. And this passage needs some of that. I'm sure that you all remember that the book of Hebrews is written in Egypt in the first century. And there was an enormous, million-strong population of Jews in Alexandria at this time, and they were what are known as Hellenistic Jews. And they had lived there for hundreds of years. And they had a completely interesting way of looking at Scripture. They were Hellenized, so they spoke Greek, and they used Plato as the lens with which they interpreted the Bible. And Plato's idea of things is that there are these realms, and there are multiple ones, but the two essential ones are the physical one we live in and this essential, immutable, unchanging, and perfect realm, which ours is just a shadow of. And you can start seeing how that plays out in our reading today. The spiritual reality of a temple not made with hands and the physical reality of the imperfectness of the temple. One other contextualization we need to put in here requires us to move from 2,000 years ago to 3,500 years ago to the time of Exodus and the reestablishment of the Jewish people as their own nation. So this meant that not were they just bound any longer by being set as a tribal group, but now this tribal group was going to have place, and they are going to make sure that their place is protected and safe. They are not going to give this up. And one of the ways that needs to be looked at with that is being bound to community, they needed to create laws to help keep everyone safe. The ultimate impurity is death. You could bring an entire group of people into danger if you touched death and then ran around and touched everybody else because you might have contaminated yourself with a disease. And we don't have any way to stop disease at the time. So if I don't want to do that, and I have touched a dead animal, I had to pick up that roach this morning, that would mean that I would need to ritually wash, perhaps even withdraw from the group for a while, and then be cleansed before re-entering the group. I might even need to sacrifice something at the temple. Being unclean extended far beyond just touching something that was dead. What about eating animals that eat dead things? My daddy used to catch a coon occasionally. He would also catch possums. And if one were going to eat these creatures, hypothetically speaking, one would put them up for a bit so that anything, if they had any disease, you would know. But that is also the 1920s. That is not 3,000 plus years ago. So you did not, you created laws so nobody ate things like that. 
You did not want disease to come to the people. And then our ripples will go even further into the lives of the people and it dictated so many behaviors and activities because you wanted to be vigilant so no defilement could come into the community. And the sad reality is that I might fear that any one of you had done something that was impure and then I might become impure. And touched by a tainted person was awful. To be, be accused of being unclean, you would lose social standing, you would lose authority in there, you might lose your community, support, and even purpose in your life. So we are all collectively going to stay very, very vigilant. We do not want to allow anything impure into our community. Now that sounds a little paranoid, sounds a little off, but we all know how fears can breed a hypervigilance in our culture. We've seen how hypervigilance can breed a type of social policing that is also punitive and doesn't easily allow for a way to come back into community. We just cancel you. And as one of our Park Circle community group members said this week when we were discussing this topic, that's the stuff of OG Karen behavior. And it is. For the first century Jew, there was no simple way back. They worked on a system to keep their society from fragmenting, however. The system was there to manage the, the you. You know, um, I don't think that's okay moments, and it was a once-a-year day, a very somber, dark day called the Day of Atonement. And since the building of the tabernacle in 1500 BCE and the continuing until the destruction of the temple in CE 70, there was a prescribed perfect set of rituals that had to be carried out exactly so that the people could be cleansed from their fears and their paranoia. However, it was through an intermediary. It was through the priest. So you have a contextual lens now. So let's jump in. Jeremiah 31 begins this passage. And God says that this is the kind of new covenant I'm going to make with people. I will put my laws in them. I will put them on their hearts. I will be God and they will be my people. No longer will people have to teach each other or encourage each other to find God, you will know the eternal. You will know God intimately from the least to the greatest. That's an amazing promise. That sounds absolutely wonderful, but that is not where the author goes after this. And I don't understand. Because what the author does is the author goes off on this tangent about temples and about stuff in the temple and what goes on in the temple and all these sorts of things and that is all to help us realize something pretty important. People couldn't go into specific spaces. You and I couldn't walk into this part of the building. This would have been the realm of the priests only. And there would have been a big curtain. And the priests couldn't go into that side where the presence of God dwelt. It would be separate. You did not mix this, and only once a year did the priest 
the high priest, get to go in to that most holy place where the presence of the immutable, eternal God dwelt among humans. And that was on that day of atonement. So the entire ritual of purification reached its climax when on that day of atonement, the high priest would take the blood of a ritually sacrificed animal and go into that realm of God and throw that onto the presence of God in that space. The yearly ritual was central to the Jewish life for over a millennia. And the author of Hebrews is explicit to point out some problems. They had, some, they had a little bit of time to figure out all the problems. One, the frequency. You're being cleansed from impurity. It only happens once a year. You need to constantly be replenishing this blood. It is not really that effective at keeping me from worrying that you might have done something wrong. So the desire to judge and exclude others doesn't necessarily go away. Two, there's a lack of access to God. Very rarely can the holy be broached by the mortal. And so the entrance of the high priest only one time a year into the presence of God reminds us that this is a world where there is not a relationship between God and the priests, much less God and the people. And three, it's very limiting to what you can actually achieve. The main limitation of this ritual is that it can only cleanse, cleanse people from their external impurities. This offering can only expiate physically. The author concludes then that it's incapable of, quote, perfecting the conscience. So now we have to have a quick sidebar. Remember that whole Hellenistic Jew moment? Here we go. The Hellenistic Jew would look at this world that they lived in and recognize that there is a dual reality here. They would recognize that there is something absolutely eternal, unchangeable, beautiful, true, and just, with all capital letters. All those things are reflected into this physical realm, and we should be able to recognize that. And if we are cleansed, we can recognize that physically. But what is not met in this word conscience here is the apprehending that in our inner being, that our motivations and the ideals are bent towards beauty, truth, and justice. And without a way for those things to be bent and changed and made right, there is no way for us to have a lack of fear and judgment and a desire to keep ourselves away and safe from other people. So it's kind of depressing. At least the Bible study groups we did this week were kind of like, well, now. Um, the sacrifice is imperfect. The priest is imperfect. We can't even tell the manager that the system isn't working. So speaking to the manager is off the table. So what is left is just being hypervigilant and being worried about being forced out of community all the time. I'm pretty sure that Jewish folks knew about this Jeremiah 31 thing and were sort of like, hello, manager, you do know this because you promised it. When is this going to happen? And we wait. 
But at this point, we turn. The authors of Hebrews shifts the conversation and points back towards Jeremiah. He uplifts the gift of redemption through the death and resurrection of Jesus as a place where the need for this yearly ritual and this sacrifice can be set aside. He explains that Jesus' sacrifice is offered once and for all. Secondly, the author raises this image of a new high priest boldly entering into this transcendent sanctuary of pure glory. And the high priest calls us to follow him into this space, into this through a transcendent pathway to glory, to be in the presence of the infinite, the unbounded, the eternal, who instructs us at that point to address with the term Father. So in that moment, when we follow God into this space, we follow our high priest with the perfect sacrifice. Jesus can present us to God through that mystery of the incarnation. And Jesus can present us as pure and holy and righteous through the gift of redemption. This new system with new and perfect high priest, with a new and perfect sacrifice, Jesus, this opens a pathway into the presence of God and Jesus calls us to come then to the mercy seat. And there, at that mercy seat, the act of receiving forgiveness and reconciliation without having to make a blood sacrifice is there. And all we have to do is ask. We can ask our Father. We can do this as a result of the once and for all sacrifice which has been offered in this perfect, unchanging, incorruptible holy of holies. And now we have the strength to come into this place and to the Father to restore community with each other in the physical realm and with God in the spiritual realm. This shows us the value that God places on relationship, conversations, and the need for us to establish, strengthen, and continue community. The author of Hebrews offers us this platonic view. Are there other lenses? Yes. But am I down with this lens? Absolutely. He believes that Jesus is the source, the rhythm, the rhyme, and the font that all beauty, truth, and justice flow into the temporal world through. Now, all of this sounds very high and mighty and all of this, except there's something very simple about it all. Our high priest, our once and for all ever sacrificed God, defines himself also, and says what we should be looking for when we look for the high priest to lead us. And that is the good shepherd. And so I'd like to set a parable in front of us for a moment. And it's a parable that we have heard before, but maybe not in this context. And hint, pretty soon we'll probably be hearing it again. But this is a once and for all sacrifice to purify our conscience from the dead things of the world to the service of the living God. So hold that as we think through the parable of the good shepherd. So I need a place for our shepherd to lead us. And if you are in three to six with us, you will be very familiar with the green pasture. 
And if I can have any of the littles that have had the parable of the Good Shepherd lesson, come and help me lead some sheep to the pasture, it would be very great. Would you do the honors of reading for us? Come on, Cameron. So listen for the words. Oh, you don't have a mic. You don't have a mic. Would you like to be the good shepherd for the moment? Oh, there we go. I did not plan far enough ahead. Here we go. <clears throat> the good shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Find a sheep. We need a sheep. You got your sheep? Which sheep will you choose, Sam? I got mine. Victoria, are you going to come choose a sheep? Come choose a sheep. You're welcome to choose a sheep. Bah. We have two more sheep that need help. So an adult may need to help. I mean, you can't leave any sheep behind. Three sheep. Oh, my heavens. Three sheep? We can't leave any sheep behind. Bah. When, when all the sheep have been gathered, he walks on ahead of them. And they follow him because they know his voice. Let's walk. I wonder how important we are to the good shepherd, to the high priest, that he calls us to follow him into the place of complete Thank forgiveness. You. There they are. Is there one that we need to go? Thank you for saving him. He was going to be hungry all alone left in the sheepfold. Okay, Victoria, can you, can you bring yours and Jamila? Thank you. Ah. I came to give life with joy and abundance. I am the good shepherd. Listen, listen. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep in his care. Cameron. The hired hand is not like the shepherd, so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs for his life leaving them defenseless. Then the wolf attacks the flock, snatching and scattering the sheep. So what do you think the good shepherd does? What will the good shepherd? He will help the sheep. Go gather the sheep. We have sheep. Let's partner. I think they're going to be very hungry if they've been very scared. Not the sheep. The sheep can't. They're defenseless. Let's listen. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. But I, I take it up again. I have many other sheep that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will hear my voice, and the flock will be united. One flock, one shepherd. Wow, guys. What do you think? Should they return to the sheepfold, or should we leave them on the altar? What do you want to do? Leave them on the altar. Leave them at the altar? Should the wolf stay, or should no, he be gone? Go away. The wolf should go away. He is shooed. Thank you for your help, guys. I may need help again momentarily, but not this second. So go forth. So you see in this moment and in all the moments how the infinite, unbounded God of unimaginable love who knows your name and calls you by name and cares about you 
invites you to participate and encounter more deeply the eternally begotten. He proclaimed it in his teachings. He demonstrated that in his ministry. This is the deep truth of Holy Week and the reality of Easter. This is the foundation of why there is the gift of redemption. The author of Hebrews likens this gift to the emancipation one receives from slavery. With this assurance of a great high priest who hears with the life of the risen Christ leading us into the most holy place where we do not have to demand to see a manager, we can curl up with the Father and be listened to and cared for. With the promise of this emancipated life and the sure knowledge that you are part of the plan of God, I invite you to ponder for a moment to ponder your place in this story. I wonder how you and I are preemptively forgiven by Jesus, just like the people at the foot of the cross. I wonder how you and I are lovingly forgiven and restored like Peter the day after Easter. I wonder how we are called to live in community in the sheepfold together. Let us ponder and reflect on this gift and the spaces where we need to work to grow, to reflect this ultimate good in the Platonic world, beauty, truth, and justice. How we reflect the Good Shepherd and that great work. Let us ponder and reflect on how growing in community with God through prayer encourages us to accept more and more of the emancipated gift that the once offered sacrifice provides for us. I wonder deeply how this good shepherd, this high priest is calling your name and asking you to set aside the dead things which break community and make us fearful and follow the voice leading us to the abundant life in Christ. Please, in this moment, in this time, ponder some of these thoughts. Ponder your own. Wonder with God. Sit closely in that most holy place and have a conversation with God.
I promised I would be nice to Miss Elizabeth for these questions. All right. Are there any cleansing rituals that we still need to do? Yes, actually, <laughs> there are. Um, basically, we need to ask for forgiveness, and that is a ritual because just like we like to pretend like we don't have liturgy, we do. It's literally in our lives what we do every morning when we get up and we make a cup of coffee and we have a heart attack because the Airbnb we're staying in <laughs> has a coffee maker and filters, but no coffee. Same kind of a deal. We have a liturgy to how we need to approach God that works with us and for us because this is your dad. And not at, you know, when you know kids, they're not all the same. The way they approach if a parent isn't always the same. So your ritual will look slightly different than my ritual. That's really lovely to hear. I know I definitely have my morning tea ritual um, that I take everywhere with me. All right. Hebrews was written to particular people at a particular time with a particular worldview slash philosophy. Yes. Is it necessary to reinterpret skip scriptures again through new and non-Western lens? Well, Hebrews would be a non-Western lens. Debate would be whether Plato was a non-Western lens that these Hellenistic Jews were using. But they had modified some of that to fit their particular model that wasn't Western. So, yes, I think it kind of is important for us to reinterpret things because life changes. And principles don't. The values of God don't change. But how ethically we live those values in this present time can shift. That's a really nice way of putting it. And then I have a personal question. I don't know about y'all, but during the sermon, I did not hear a peep from any child in here. And I was like, I know this is going to be interactive. I hope there are enough kids. And then you called them, and there are all these kids that came out. How do you keep them so quiet? <laughs> Prayer and fasting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, God does the work of letting the child's heart be soft and to listen. And we uphold that here. That's why we have kids who were jumping at the chance to set the table. And just so you know, Cameron has a kind of a special interest in the table, which is why he was helping to set. Um, and in our world, we learn all the pieces and parts so we know what's going on. And we had to have a cross on the table because in our practice space in our model atrium, the altar has a cross, and so we needed either to stand on the other altar, probably not a great idea, and get that cross down, or we needed to find a solution. <laughs> so there we go. And we have candles on ours, so hence Sarah gets to try not to burn herself in a minute. <laughs> well, thank you so much. That was really beautiful to watch the kids set up the altar and how excited that they were. I know I did not grow up with that type of understanding, so it's really amazing to watch the kids at Parkside be so incredibly involved. And now with that, we will continue with worship. <laughs> 